Psalms 122, Psalm 122, we are continuing our series through Ephesians chapter 4, but let us begin with Psalm 122. And then while you're there, remember, keep your finger in Ephesians 4 as well. We'll be reading that right after Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. That's what they're there for. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. I am very excited and also greatly humbled this morning again at our text because the more I look at this passage of Scripture and the more I spend in prayer and the more I sense and believe in your intercessory prayer, the more the Lord reveals the significance of what Paul is saying in these verses of chapter 4, the exhortation he gives unto us as believers to strive to walk worthy of our vocation, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, how significant that is for God's people, for every one of God's people. When we gather together as God's people, like we do every Sunday, and we gather together as one to worship and praise God, God is glorified when we do that with united hearts and united minds where we are truly striving to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The gathering of God's people, I was thinking this morning, is much like an oasis, where God's people can separate themselves for a short time from this world, and where we can gather together and worship God, and we can be blessed by God, the preaching of His Word, but also blessed by the Spirit of unity that Christ has obtained for us in saving our souls and bonding us together in Him. We are His body, and He is the head. 
And it is so important of what Paul exhorts us to here in this fourth chapter of Ephesians, especially in this day and age when the language of the average professing believer is one of malice and anger and combative, demeaning, argumentative. It's so important for us to understand that our speech says a lot about ourselves as believers. That hymn we sang from Timothy Dwight, I love thy church, O God. I love thy church. I was reminiscing this morning as I was preparing for this message and looking out my window and admiring the beautiful weather God sent us and the blooming of the trees and the birds. and I love being caught away with God's creation. And I was admiring it and thinking over the past 33 years as a pastor how often I can truly say that I've experienced the blessing of Psalm 122 and Psalm 133 where it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And my heart was quickly saddened that those times have been far and few between. And I so long and desire when God's people gather together, especially for worship, that we are so united in heart and in mind that it's a a place, an oasis, a place of tranquility and peace and comfort. When we gather together, there's no tension. There's no, there's no obstruction. It's, it's thorough. It's enjoying. It's pleasant. It's good. And his hymn, I Love Thy Church, O God, few hymns have ever, ever captured the spirit of David's profession of love and joy for God's church than that old hymn from Timothy Dwight. For there has not been a generation where her peace and prosperity has not been threatened by Satan, the world, and the enemies of God, especially today. But we are assured that God is in our midst Psalm 46, that God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. So it's not so much the outward enemies of Satan, the world, or her enemies. But David prays in Psalm 122 for peace within her walls. He doesn't pray about the adversaries, which are outside the wall. He distinctly prays for peace and prosperity within her walls and her palaces. For the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God, but David prays specifically for peace and prosperity within her walls. For beloved, listen to me, for where there's no peace within her walls, there can be no spiritual prosperity. We don't come together on Sunday individually hoping God would bless us individually. We come as a corporate body of believers, as one united, praying that God would bless us as a corporate body of believers. That has how God has ordained worship to be. Not an individual thing, but a corporate, a bringing together of God's saints. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Provoke one another to love and to good work. 
This is how we best glorify God on this divinely appointed day is when we come together united in hearts and minds and peace, true, genuine peace exists between the believers. How often have we all been sadly acquainted with the fact we enter into a body of believers and we feel tension and everything but peace and unsettlement rare. That's why it's so blessed. For my brethren and companions sake, I will now say peace be within thee because of the house of the Lord our God. See that? You see the emphasis? He says, because of my brethren and companions sake, I will now say peace be within thee because of the house of the Lord. He distinguishes. This is why. This is the house of the Lord. It might be a living room. But when we gather together, it's the house of the Lord. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, he says, I will seek thy good. Who's good? My brethren and companions, good. For only then shall we truly come to know the true blessings of how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity as the precious ointment which ran down the head of Aaron, even down to his garments, when peace and prosperity reigned within our walls. But speaking the truth in love, this is almost like Psalm 122 and 133. Listen to Paul in our text in Ephesians 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. See, the significance of our speaking truth and love to one another assist in our growing up into Him in all things, which is the head. There's Aaron's head or his beard. Even Christ, from whom the body down to His garments, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto what? Unto the edifying of itself in love. Therefore, dearly beloved, what Paul is exhorting us to here in this entire chapter 4 of Ephesians, this, this exhortation to unity and love and holiness is beneficial for every true believer and is very significant especially in this day and age when it seems like the language of the common professing believer is everything but kind and tender-hearted, forgiving. And I know when you begin speaking those words, immediately people begin to think you're compromising. Why do we believe Scripture, when it speaks of these things, mentions a compromising? It's not a compromising. It's something that belongs to the true children of God. And so therefore Paul exhorts us to this, this unity and love and holiness amongst the brethren. It's a hard work. It's not easy. Not so much because of our brethren, but because of our own evil, wicked, and corrupt hearts. To esteem others better than ourselves is not natural to the flesh. But it is when we walk in the Spirit. For then we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, beloved, I pray that we would all seek to edify one another more. 
even in our speech. For in our text, Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, let us read this again. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Why? That ye may, that it may, your speech may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Beloved, with these words, the Apostle Paul would continue his exhortation concerning the believers putting off of the old man which is corrupt and the putting on of the new man which after God is created in righteousness and truly and true holiness. But let me begin this morning, and I won't get as far as all these points, but I'm going to do the best I can. But let me begin this morning by giving you a brief outline of Paul's exhortation in these two verses. I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 29 and 30, first of all, Paul would remind us yet again of the importance of how we speak or in this verse communicate one to another. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the believers. That's not the first time he's mentioned that. Look over in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Speaking truth in love. In verse 25. He says again, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul emphasizes throughout this fourth chapter how significant our speech is. And especially in this verse, our communication, which we'll look at a little bit more detail later on because it's a little bit different than speech. And I believe it's vitally important for us to understand why the Holy Spirit put it here in this context. But Paul reminds us how important it is how we speak to one another. Our speech. Secondly, Edifying of others, especially of the body of Christ, is greatly emphasized and what should be the believer's goal in everything, in everything, especially in our speech. He says in verse 29 again, let not your corrupt communicate, let not corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That should be our goal in everything we do with Christians, with others and ourselves, edifying people. We are so good at destroying people. We are so good at tearing down people. The world is good at doing that. Christians should be edifying, instructing them, building them up in the faith. That's our goal. Build one another up in the faith, not tear them down. Not destroy them because of maybe their lack of ignorance, their lack of knowledge of Scripture or their slowness of spiritual things, but edify them. Edifies to build up in Christian knowledge to improve the mind. Look in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the what? For the edifying of the body of Christ. There it is again, edifying. Verse 16. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto, there it is again, unto the edifying of itself in love. Edifying is throughout this chapter. Edify one another. Lift one another up. Build one another up in the faith. God, give us more Christians who desire to build other believers up in the faith. Not simply stand for their convictions. And in so doing, tearing down others. The, 
the virtue of edifying is almost but all lost amongst Christians. But he says that we should edify. That should be our goal, edify, to edify one another. And thirdly, the great significance of how we speak or communicate to others is greatly emphasized in verse 30 when Paul says that grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And it's in the context of our speech. Quench, reject, grieve. Those are three things we can do to the Holy Spirit according to Scripture. This is the only verse in Scripture where it says we can grieve. We can make Him sorrowful. We can offend Him. We can provoke Him. We can make Him sad. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's not because we lack doctrinal knowledge. It says we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God when our communication, our speech is not edifying. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Look at the significance of that. If we would pay more heed to Scripture, especially this portion, we would take more heed how we speak and what we say. Corrupt communication is injurious or offensive. That's what corrupt is. Let no corrupt communication. Don't let your communication, don't let your speech, and like I said, communication, we'll look at that in a few minutes because there's a little bit difference between speech and communication. And I really want to look at that later on. But those are the three main points Paul brings about in these verses. And I'm going to do my best to get through all three of them in time this morning, I hope and pray. But first of all, throughout this epistle, as well as throughout Scripture, and we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures, so have your Bibles ready. As well as throughout scripture, the manner of our speech or communication with others, especially with one another as believers, is greatly emphasized. God takes notice of how we speak not only to one another as believers, but how we speak to others, mankind in general. And the Scriptures are full of it. For the manner of one's speech, according to Scripture, listen to me, the manner of one's speech is a revelation of what's truly in the heart. Let me look at a few Scriptures. Look at Matthew chapter 12 with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 12. Well-known passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 Words we need to very take heed of. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Our Lord says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? It's impossible. Why? Because you're vipers. You can't speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is our conversations filled with? We'll tell what's in our hearts. If it's worldly things then our heart's probably too much in the world. If it's heavenly things, well, you follow my train of thought. We're out of the abundance of the heart. The abundance. That's a, we need to, that's a sermon right out of the abundance of the heart. A good man, he says, out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. He can't help it. If he's evil, he'll speak evil. If he's good, he'll speak good. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Ever thought about that verse? Every idle word you and I have said, give account, judge. You say, wait a minute, I, I thought we're not going to be judged for our sins. Listen to what he says. Every idle word God takes into recognition. 
God knows. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I hear a lot of people trying to isolate these verses and saying, well, that doesn't apply to Christians and all that. Listen to the word of God. If anything, get this. Christ is telling us that God notices and recognizes every word we speak and how we speak it. He takes notice of that. Just like he knows every wave of the sea, how far it goes, every sand, every kernel of sand on the sea, on the on the beaches. He knows all that. He knows when our hairs fall. He takes notice of every idle word we say, every word we say. God takes notice of every word we say. Ever thought about that? That is most humbling. Most humbling. Over in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. We'll have a lot of verses in Proverbs. The wise man had a lot to say. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4. I like, I like actually, let's just start with verse 1. There, it's all good. A soft answer turneth away wrath. A lot of wisdom in that. But grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. See that? But the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and good. Again, it says the Lord takes notice of how we speak. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Listen to that. Edifying. A wholesome tongue, a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach of the Spirit. We've all been victims and predators, if I can use that term for lack of a better one, in the use of our tongue, have we not? I think we can all say there was one time or other in our life, if not more than we'd rather choose, to where our tongue has lashed out and offended many, said things that hurt. I don't believe there's anybody in the room this morning that cannot bear witness to how painful and how grievous the tongue can be. But I hope and pray we've also experienced the other side of that pendulum where God has used us to speak words of encouragement unto others. We know the balance. We know the difference. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let it not proceed out of your mouth. Let. Over at James chapter 3. This is a well-known passage of Scripture about the tongue and explains it very clearly. James chapter 3. In verse 1. whole chapter actually is good. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that ye shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. Humbling, again. If any man offend not in word, there's speech again, the same as a perfect man, that means a mature man, not sinless, and able also to bridle the whole body. If you can control your tongue, you can bridle your whole body. 
Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeneth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Explanation point. The tongue is a fire or a world of iniquity. You ever wonder why the rich man, when he lifted up his eyes in hell, asked not to pour water upon his whole body but on his tongue? There's your answer. He said, I want a drop for my tongue. You'd think he'd say, quench my whole body. He said, no, this is what's burning the most, my tongue. It's a world of iniquity. So was the tongue amongst our members that it defiled the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. But out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not so to be. Don't let it be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place, <clears throat> excuse me, sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear all of their berries, either fine figs? Vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man endured with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness. Uh, of wisdom, but if you have bitter envying, strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. I gotta finish reading the chapter. <clears throat> but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy. Sounds like Ephesians four, huh? Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown. In, uh, is sown in peace of them that make peace. Good chapter. Scripture has much to say about how we speak to one another and how we use our tongue. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communication corrupt good manners. Not just your own, it corrupts others. Evil communication tends to corrupt others as well as ourselves. Now, I want you to notice something back in Ephesians 4 that I, I believe is important, especially for this day and age, every day and age, but especially now. I want you to, I want you to see something here. I did some, some word study on this, and I believe the Holy Spirit put this word in here distinctly for a purpose. Now, I want you to see what he says here. He doesn't say, let no corrupt speech or word proceed out of your mouth, but he said, let no corrupt communication. And I believe there was a reason for that. Word means speech or expression, report, a request, a command, a promise. But communicate, listen to this, communicate is fellowship in converse and practice. Follow me. Communication is all about the message. In other words, be careful how you attempt to communicate a message 
that it's not corrupt. In other words, I believe he's talking about when we speak of spiritual things, even the doctrines of our holy Christian faith, be careful you don't use corrupt communication. In other words, hatred, envy, argumentative, combative. This verse condemns so many people on the Internet right now, Christians with their combative spirit about the differences of their doctrinal beliefs. And I'm not talking about false doctrine. I'm talking about those who profess to own the same doctrines of truth, and yet they become so combative, argumentative, and demeaning. Paul says, don't let that happen when you're communicating the truths of God. But, he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying. If people would try to express their conviction of why they hold the truth of God the way they do, with a more edifying spirit, I believe they'd come a lot further than a condemning or a demeaning one. Don't you? People just get into such arguments. And, beloved, I have not been innocent of this myself. I'm sure none of us have at one point or another. But this is why I believe the Holy Spirit put it right here. Communication. Because one may converse with another, listen to me, and yet never communicate. You ever have somebody like that? You're talking and talking. It's like you're talking on each other, over each other's head. You're not communicating. You're, you're conversing, but you're not communicating. Paul says, don't communicate with injurious or offensive language but by edifying that you might administer grace or minister grace to the hearers. Be careful how you seek to communicate the doctrines of our holy Christian faith, the truth of God. Don't do it in anger or bitterness or wrath. In other words, it's word spoken, but message missed. If I can use it. How many times have we ran into that? How many times have we been guilty of that? How many times have we spoken to people and it's just as though the message just is not getting through? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very sometimes complicated thing when we're talking to one another about anything, especially the truth of God. Because many times, and I know we've all been there, it's not the fact, it's not always the fact that they're not listening. Maybe I'm not communicating it the way I should. You follow me? And we blame them. They're just ignorant. They're not listening. Well, no, maybe I didn't communicate it properly. I mean, if I stand up here and preach to you all day long, but I'm not communicating to you, I'm not getting the message across, it's just words is falling to no avail. The important thing is the message is the message getting across. So when we're conversing with one another, especially concerning the truths of God, we need to make sure that we're not doing it offensively or injuriously, but we're doing it to edify, that we administer grace to others and make sure they get the message. Maybe we're not getting the message as clearly as we thought. Maybe it's not that they're not hearing. Maybe I'm simply not getting the message across. And we'll see that in a few verses when I close. Proverbs talks about uh, he studieth to speak right. A righteous man studieth. He thinks about what he's going to say. In fact, I'll just give it to you now. It's Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. The heart of the righteous studieth, studieth to answer. Why does he studieth to answer? Lord, help, our, help us to speak for, uh, for the reason of darkness. We cannot utter anything, Job said. In other words, he studies to speak because he knows he doesn't have 
the answers themselves. What's he study? He studies the Word of God. Rightly dividing is, is basically, that verse is basically presented towards preachers, but it applies to all Christians. Rightly divide the Word of God. Give out the proportion of the Word of God as needs fits the situation. You desire to reach them with the message, not stand up for your own convictions. And the more I look at the Internet and hear all these arguments, it's almost as people are more concerned about standing their ground and defending their convictions than getting the message across. If people are, are ignorant of what you're saying, then seek to apply the message in a different way. But no, we, our nature, our nature, our flesh is prone to go back to be combative. I believe that's why the Holy Spirit put that in here. Let no communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. He's not talking about a normal conversation. He's talking about instructing someone's mind, instructing someone in the faith. So the communication is probably specifically when we talk about the things of God. Don't use injurious or offensive language. Because you want to edify. You want to minister grace to who? The hearers. But that which is good to the use of edifying. I love that. That which is good to the use of edifying. Not condemning. Well, if you don't believe the same way I do, you're just a hypocrite. You're just an apostate. You just I don't count you as a believer because you don't believe the same way I do. I'm sure glad the Lord didn't come down to the earth and walk amongst men with the same attitude many professing believers have today about the way they feel about their pet pee doctrines. we all be lost. You know how easily Christ could have lost us all in communication? You know how easy he could have lost us all? They talk almost like the, like the Pharisees of the old days, remember? The Lord was talking to them and they thought, hey, wait a minute. We're of Abraham. Who are you to talk to us like that? We're privileged. We're the elect. We're privileged. We've been blessed. You ignorant heathens. To the use of edifying. Divine elections doesn't give us any kind of privilege. It's all of grace. Oh, how this condemns many speech or languages of believers nowadays. Paul says, don't do that. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Why? That they might come to the knowledge of the truth. I've constantly, over the last 33 years, not constantly, but often, thought about how Christ, being God, manifested in the flesh, infinite wisdom, comes down to ignorant, blind, sinful man and tries to relate to him. Look at the condensation of our Lord. He'd come down and he would talk on our level. If he wanted to, he could have confounded everybody. But he didn't. He said, you see this fig tree? You see this fig tree? You see, you see what it is? You see the grapes? You see the vines? He uses parables. But no corrupt communication, but that which is good. To the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. Oh, that's the Christian spirit. 
Again, look at Proverbs. Hang with me a few more minutes. Proverbs chapter 16. I want you to see these verses because they are rich in wisdom. <clears throat> Proverbs 16, verse 21. This is what it says here. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Sounds like edifying, doesn't it? Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, but the instruction of the fools is folly. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. I like that. The heart of the wise. The heart teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Out of the abundance of the heart, the more we learn of Christ, the more we learn of Scripture, the more we have of Christ, the more we're conformed in the image of Christ, our heart teaches our mouth and addeth learning to our lips so that we might say the right things we should say. Look at Proverbs 15, 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. How good it is. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. You know, just as our tongue can be a world of iniquity, it can also be a rich source of comfort and encouragement to those who are downcast and weary. With Proverbs 12, Proverbs 12, verse 17, 17 and 19, He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Sounds like edifying. The lip of truth shall establish forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. The lip of truth shall establish forever. Look over in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10, 21. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for one of wisdom. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Verse 20, 21. The lips of the righteous feed, feed many. And one more, Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. 25, 11 and 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. Look at that. A word fitly spoken. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying, for the use of edifying, that it may administer grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of day. In the same breath, it's almost as Paul says, when our communication is not pleasing to God, the Holy Spirit of God is grieved. Why is he grieved about that? Well, if you look at Ephesians 4, 3, it says that we endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, big S. He's the one that binds our hearts. He's the one that seals us until the day of redemption. He's the one that brings us together. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of comfort. And when our communication is offensive and injurious to one another as believers, He's grieved for that. He's grieved for that. It's not, 
it's not the false doctrine, which is bad. It's not the false living in that sense. He's specifically saying when you don't speak to one another as believers properly, edifying one another, ministering grace to one another, the Spirit of God is grieved when we do to such things. Paul said to the Colossians, and I'll bring this to a close, he said, let your speech be always with grace. Always with grace. It should never be with anger or malice or hatred or with grace. Seasoned with salt. Now, why would you say seasoned with salt? Well, I don't think it's because salt injures a wound. People take that and say, see there, it's offensive sometimes. That's not... I think it's a preservation. It's a taste for the palate. When when you get food and you're... I had some soup yesterday I bought from United. And sounded good. Uh, jalapeno pepper soup. I thought, oh, wow. I love jalapeno peppers. Didn't have any salt. I had to add salt to it. Why? Because then it was better on the palate. I think that's what Paul's talking about. Let it be with grace, but let it be pleasant on the palate. Let them enjoy what you're saying. Let it be seasoned with salt. You season, the word season tells you that. You season it for flavor. Let that what you're saying be seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Why? That you may know how you ought to answer every man. God give us grace and then help us to season it with salt that it's pleasant to their palate. Because the goal is that they might come to the knowledge of the truth, not simply say, well, I believe you, and you're like, see there, I know everything. When we're dealing with the knowledge of God, beloved, we want people to receive the message. Listen to what I'm saying. And if we're not hearing it right, may God give us grace to hear their message. But that's what it's about. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let me close with these words in Ephesians 4. Let me read the whole context again, so that we might see that. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Are our words to the use of edifying? Why? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. <clears throat> Always with grace, seasoned with salt. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, there it is again, be put away from you with all malice. Use every, every power you've got, every energy you've got to get rid of these things. Why? That's the old man putting him off. Verse 31, the new man created in righteousness, or created in God in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How are we supposed? Who are we supposed to imitate? The same kind of tenderheartedness, kind to one another, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Isn't it amazing how? I'm looking forward to get down to that verse. Isn't it amazing how it says, "Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you"? Not as God has forgiven you. He says. He reminds us the offering. This this is how God's forgiven you. He took a sacrifice, a great sacrifice. He took the only beloved Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. That's how He's forgiven us. Now you ex- you exercise these same things towards one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you.
<laughs> Boy, I tell you, there's, there, there's the unity of, of Christians in this world is, according to Scripture, a very unique, rare, blessed, how blessed, how rare, Psalm 133. But beloved, I'm telling you, it's an oasis for God's children in this barren world of sin. When we meet together to pray and lift up our prayers to God on Saturdays, when we meet together on Sundays to worship God, may we enter into this assembly feeling refreshed and encouraged, excited, comfortable, at ease, because we're among God's people and we're united by one person, namely Jesus Christ, to glorify God and to edify one another. Amen. What a blessing Christian fellowship should be. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words. We thank you, Lord, how the Word of God is as a two-edged sword. It cuts asunder. Lord, we pray that, Father, you'd help us. God, help us to understand the significance of what the Apostle Paul is speaking. Help us, Lord God, in our endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Give us, Lord, the wisdom and grace of these exhortations. Help us to listen to all the verses we heard in Proverbs about the wisdom of words, how important they are, how important our speech is. Lord, help us. Help us that we would speak those things that are good to the use of edifying, that we might minister grace unto hearers that we might not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, guide and direct in our hearts and our minds, we pray. May you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.